Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Addendum. Addendum. Alert. An addendum has been made to the podcast. Everybody, we're releasing the podcast a little bit late this week because lightning has struck at the trade deadline for the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers have traded Chase Claypool, nay, oft-maligned receiver Chase Claypool to the Chicago Bears for a potentially very high second-round pick. And the Steelers have also traded a late-round pick to acquire William Jackson III, cornerback, 30 years old, from the Washington Commanders. This is crazy. The trade deadline keeps getting crazier every year in the NFL for the entire league, but definitely for the Steelers. The Omar Khan, Eric Weidel, Wait, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the dude from Philadelphia who's also in the front office, this era has started off with a bang because the Steelers have hit their biggest home run in the player acquisition and trading uh, and drafting arena that they've hit in a long time. This is a miracle that they got a likely high second-round pick for Chase Claypool, a receiver who is only going to be on the team for the rest of this year and then next year, and then he was going to walk. Yep, I know that that is – you know, would be useful to have him on the team. I'll get into details of why that doesn't matter so much, especially since the poor bastard wasn't getting the ball or getting any targets in the first place. Um, obviously, you can use as many good players as you can. But um, to get that type of high pick for a player like Claypool, who of course has immense potential, but I think we've realized after the sample size at this point, he's never going to be the Julio Jones or the Calvin Johnson player. He looks like to the eyes um, and his stats have been just in the toilet for the past two years. Although if you're a non overly emotional Steelers fan, you could easily admit that the stats are so low because the Steelers offense as a whole is a piece of crap, but you can't deny you would think that that would take tank his trade value. How are they getting a second round pick for this guy? When Amari Cooper, like a legit number one, Low-end number one, sort of Deontay Johnson type. Uh, that guy got a fifth-round pick when the Browns pay, uh, got him from Dallas. This is an amazing situation. I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I'll start with this. Number one, it's incredible that they got that offer, and I'm so encouraged by the fact that the Steelers are showing signs that they're changing their stubborn ways, which is really my only problem with the Steelers team right now, which I've said on a lot of the podcasts recently. I know it seems like they're the worst team on earth, but they are they're, the NFL is a very close league, and they're not very far away from being a good team. Now, conversely, they're also not very far away from being a bad team, you know, especially if the Kenny Pickett uh, draft pick doesn't work out. Obviously, you, you, know, you, you set your franchise back. A lot, a lot, a lot, yada, yada, yada. Let's move forward. It shows that the Steelers were willing 
to deal this guy when a perfect opportunity presented themselves. Number one, the Steelers have a an absolute abundance of riches at the wide receiver position. They just signed Deontay Johnson to a three-year contract. Deontay, frustrating receiver, but very good receiver. And they just drafted one of the best receivers in the NFL, George Pickens. And so they're set at their top two targets. We've also seen Pat Fryermuth has emerged as the true Heath Miller of the team. This guy needs to be featured more. He has been featured more. He's delivering. There's not a ton of targets to go around. The Steelers are never going to pay multiple receivers. So when they paid Deontay and when they drafted two receivers this year in the top four rounds with Pickens and Calvin Austin, that tells you they're letting go of Chase Claypool when his contract is up. The same way they let Mike Wallace go when he wanted too much money. They even let Antoine Randall go. Martavis Bryant with some weed suspensions, Emmanuel Sanders. They let Juju go, even though he had one extra, he stayed for one extra year because he took a, a an absurdly low end deal, but they were going to let him walk. They let these guys walk. They're never going to pay two. So you're losing Claypool anyways, and you might get a conditional pick for him based on playing time. But now instead you're getting, you're, you're, you're getting back what you paid for Tra- Chase Claypool with a second-round pick, except for if the Chicago Bears stay on their trajectory of not winning a ton of games this year, you're actually getting a higher pick than you than you used on him. You're getting a high second-round pick. And now the Steelers in this next draft are very possibly going to have three draft picks within the top 40 or 50 picks, potentially even – well, yeah, no, that's what it, that's what it'll be. Um, they're gonna have potentially even a top ten pick in the first round as well, which you know is a massive game changer. So here's and here's why this is significant. It just shows an openness to the fact that hey, you do need to rebuild sometimes in the NFL. The Steelers aren't like the Jets or the Jaguars a few years ago, which were teams with literally zero usable players on the roster. The Steelers have some cornerstones. Whether we like to admit it or not, you have two great young edge rushers. You have a great safety. You have great receivers. Yes, they are great. I don't know what people are looking for. If you need it to be Tyreek and Waddle or nothing, then I don't know what to tell you. The Steelers have good receivers, good tight end. They have a lot of good players and good pieces. They get good back or Brendan Beck. Um, and, and sometimes you need to speed up the process a little bit. You're going to lose Chase anyways. Now you have an opportunity in front of you. With this next draft, you got three picks within the top 45 or so, top 50. I want three fat boys. All right. I need three linemen, two offensive linemen, one defensive lineman, no exceptions. The Steelers need a corner. I don't care. The Steelers need a middle linebacker. I don't care. You need to build the trenches. And the fact that the Steelers have an assistant GM from Philadelphia, the ultimate trench building team. The Philadelphia Eagles, who are about to make potentially their second Super Bowl in about six years or so without an elite quarterback. They're making both of these Super Bowls without a true superstar quarterback. I'm already penciling them in. They're making it. But they're you know probably get the number one seed, at least in the NFC. They do that because they have incredible offensive lines, and they prioritize building those things. So I am hoping that if you get that going, you're going to see what happened with Marquise Pouncey 
and David DeCastro all those years ago. The Steelers made the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl against the Cardinals with the worst offensive line in the league. They made another Super Bowl where they lost to the Packers with a terrible offensive line. And Steelers fans kept saying, why can't we build an offensive line? Well, they hadn't taken linemen with high picks in years. And eventually the Steelers said, okay, fine. We'll take a first round center and pouncey. Fine. We'll take a first round guard and DeCastro. Oh crap. We have the best line in the league along with Dallas and some others. Interesting how that works. Steelers have a massive opportunity in, in their hands right now. Their flexibility just went out of the roof. Claypool wasn't catching more than a pass every game this year anyways. You're really not losing that much. Your backup players, when you're talking about Steven Sims, I don't know what Anthony Miller will be when he returns or not. I don't know if you can really count on guys who are injured for this long. We'll see what happens. But Steven Sims, Boykin as a three, this isn't like some super stacked team. I'm not saying, wow, those guys are huge weapons. But those are perfectly acceptable threes when you already have three great pass catchers in front of them. I'm not overly worried about losing Chase now, even though he's a better player than those guys. So this is very encouraging. Let me see the three fat boys. And then, by the way, bring the other fat boy over. Bring him back home from Philadelphia. I want Javon Hargrave. I I need him. We need him. Come back home, buddy. We need Hargrave. I believe he's a free agent after this year. Steelers love to bring their own guys back. They no longer have to its salary on uh, the salary cap, so they will have some room. They have a rookie quarterback deal. They might have some room to actually sign Javon Hargrave. And you have somebody from the Eagles building as well. It's a match made in heaven. Give me three fat boys in the first and second round. Give me Javon Hargrave, and let's go back to the Super Bowl. And the quick analysis on William Jackson III is the Steelers love to bring in players who they scouted in the draft process and they couldn't get. He's very up and down in uh, Washington. He is like the one person ever who was able to consistently cover A.B. well when he was in um, uh, Cincinnati. He's also the guy that just stood there when Le'Veon Bell ran past everybody on the sideline <laughs> when you should tackle Le'Veon Bell for that long touchdown. Uh, so a little bit of a crazy boy that way. Uh, I think I agree with Alex Kazora in, in, in a way who said on Twitter that he wishes he, he doesn't like the signing of Jackson because it pushes James Pierre and other young corners like that down on the depth chart, especially since he already signed Levi Wallace. So James Pierre probably is not going to get a lot of snaps going forward, which does suck because we don't totally know what James Pierre is yet. He had some struggles last year as a starting corner for the first time, which you'd expect. Uh, he's played amazing this year. He's had these streaks of playing really well. You'd kind of like to figure out what the guy is. And signing William Jackson, a man-to-man corner, may uh, be detrimental to us finding out what James Pierre is. So I agree with him in, in that sense where I don't love it. Um, but we'll see. They wanted to play more man-to-man, and this is that kind of guy. So we'll see what happens there. But Sort of rambling on when I called dad before recording this, uh, I had a much more concise version of what's happening here, but I wish luck to Chase Claypool. He was uh, overhated in Pittsburgh because he didn't end up being Julio Jones or Megatron and he had very annoying off the field antics. But to me, those are things you can grow up from. They were annoying. They weren't malicious. Um, I do feel really bad for the guy of how his career was going very well. Like all these Steelers receivers, <laughs> And it gets tanked by historically bad offense. I hope Chicago knows how to do how to use him correctly. And that means do not send him deep. He's a catch and run type of guy. And uh, I there were reports like 
saying that Chase Claypool was becoming a locker room problem behind the scenes, asking for more tar- demanding more targets, saying he's a number one receiver. I don't love that that kind of stuff gets leaked because that's generally directly from the team who traded him to justify the trade for their fan base and to throw dirt on the guy's name. I don't think that's cool because Chase was extremely patient in the public. He never blamed the team. He had some interviews, um, you know, passionate after games, but he never pulled what Elijah Moore is doing in um, New York right now. I thought that he was actually a good soldier in public, and he has all the reason in the world to be upset for his career. Um, So I thought he handled it the right way. So I hope the Steelers didn't leak that. Hope he does well going forward. But, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they got this return for Claypool. This is actually a huge opportunity for the Steelers. Can't overstate that enough. The flexibility they get in the draft, the opportunity they have with the quarterback on a rookie contract and this many picks in the top 50 to uh, really build up the trenches, which is their number one need. It's pretty incredible. So pumped. Let's go stealing. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. It is Halloween, and the Steelers have been humbled again, losing 35-13 to to the Philadelphia Eagles. Am I correct there? Yep, 35-13, to another blowout. And there are a lot of things on our mind, and this may shock you to hear, but It's the same exact things that have been on our mind for the past four years in a row. And it just leaves you wondering, when are we going to know if this team has any forward progress? I think that's kind of the big question we're asking ourselves right now. There's a lot of analysis going on on the internet. Kenny Pickett is struggling deeply. Najee Harris seems to be struggling deeply. Steelers give up. Four long bomb touchdowns, three of them on go routes to A.J. Brown. He's like the first player ever to score three touchdowns on go routes in like a thousand years. And all three of them came in the first half. At least one of them came over Minka Fitzpatrick. So, you know, when it rains, it pours in that category. Minka Fitzpatrick giving up a couple of those this year to some super freak shows like Gabe Davis and A.J. Brown. I don't think that's too much of an indictment on him, honestly. He's still Minka, but... It just goes to show you, if that's going wrong, is there anything that's going right for the Steelers? And I'd say there's not. But at the end of the day, there is still a point of emphasis, and it's this flaccid offense. So we'll talk about that and how it relates to the development of the high draft picks that the Steelers have invested in their core of players. We'll talk about how Deontay Johnson and some teammates are liking Instagram posts from former Steeler Javon Hargrave, who is a free agent, I believe, at the end of this year. Something to keep an eye on. They're liking uh, videos of him sacking Kenny Pickett, and we'll see how much you know Deontay Johnson is really contributing or not to the future of the Steelers, how much 
uh, you know, of a stealer he truly is versus somebody like Juju Smith-Schuster who was maligned constantly as a scapegoat for some reason. But we'll talk about Droppy Johnson and uh, some things along those nature. But first off, uh, I just want to take a view from 50,000 feet here, 30,000, 50,000 feet, a view from high up. It's a very weird NFL year this year. I can't remember the last time where we've had such a top-heavy NFL season where there are very clearly three teams who are in different stratosphere from the rest of the leagues, from the rest of the league. The Eagles being one of them, and the Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs being the other two. The Chiefs have had some fluky losses. We had a fluky, fluky loss to the Colts and then a last-second loss to the Bills, the other you know team up at the top of the mountain. Eagles obviously undefeated and deservedly so, but you, you see the Bills absolutely wax the floor with teams like the Steelers, then maybe even a middling team like the Packers. They get blown out. It gets a little dodgy at the end of the game, but really, Bills dominated that. And that's kind of the way I look at the outcome of this particular game, because right now, I've said on the podcast before, I'm not overly concerned about how the Steelers win and lose individual games this year because they're such a dumpster fire. I'm more concerned about process. How Are they developing an offensive and defensive system, and are they developing players individually? How, you know, how do these guys look, right? So if you want to talk about why they lost this game, it's similar to when you talk about the Dolphins game. Well, you lose it because you drop four freaking interceptions because you're only capable of scoring 10 points. Well, every game the Steelers loses because they can't even score 20 points. Yet another time, they don't even get to 15. You know, Kenny Pickett, he is, there's way too much on his shoulders, and I'll talk about that later about why basically he's being treated like Andrew Luck. Like if you're anything except for a Pro Bowl rookie quarterback, we're screwed and you're going to look bad. I understand that, but he does look bad. He's struggling. He's only played a couple games. It is what it is. But Steelers can score any points, and they give up four deep touchdowns. or uh, Yeah, four deep touchdowns, something like that, at least three, right? And then there's the long run. The Eagles only run one play in the red zone. I mean, it was just a high school game. It's a high school game when you play the undefeated team, and they're not just driving the ball down on you. They're just completing three or four passes and some runs, and then they just throw a bomb and they score, and they're just completely out of your class, shutting you down on offense. But that's what I look at this as. We talk about the NFL year being completely top-heavy. If the Steelers play one of those teams, Bills, Eagles, Chiefs, it's going to be a blowout. They're not coming within 20. So there was never any point this week where I thought the Steelers had even a marginal, fractional chance at winning the game. I thought that their best, their win would be covering the spread somehow, which would only come from maybe Jalen Hurts, you know, throwing a ball inaccurately or giving them an interception that Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes may not give them. And obviously, you know, Jalen Hurts is showing that he's really developing. As a passer, his deep balls are incredible. All the throws to A.J. Brown were insanely accurate. They were dots. Those throws were dots. They were teardrops, my friends. They were such a nice ball. It was hard to even get mad at it. It reminded you of, of Ben to A.B. when there were some of those touchdowns 
you realize there's just really nothing anyone can do about that. But yeah, my thought was the Steelers might be able to cover the spread if Hertz gives them one and then the Steelers make up for it in garbage time. But the Steelers are not in the same football league. The Steelers are playing like triple A ball and maybe even double A ball. But the Eagles are the class of the NFL. So I don't have much to think about in terms of the actual loss. It will be sort of pointless. We knew that's where the Steelers have been at. When you watch the Eagles play, it's hilarious. You watch them play on offense and you think, man, look at that. They, they line up an eye formation and they run it. Sometimes they fake it and throw in the other direction. They line up in shotgun and throw posts. Sometimes they throw a slant. Sometimes they throw a pick route. They do all kinds of things. It's not rocket science. It's not like you're watching, you know, some Shanahan or whatever, some mad scientist kind of offense. It's just they use different plays in different formations. And it made me think back to Ben's entire career with all the different offensive coordinators, with Wizenhunt and oh, Malarkey. Yeah, I almost thought I blanked on that. And Haley and Arians and all these guys where you never thought that the Steelers had like an elite offensive plan, but they just had a competent NFL offense. We never really complained about the play calling in those days because it was just sort of NFL average. And yeah, Haley did some cool things and he had some bad issues situationally. And obviously the reason why he gets fired is he struggled to get along with anybody. It sounds like it was a little annoying to be in the building with him, which surprises me because whenever you hear him talk now on podcasts or anything, he actually seems like a really cool down to earth guy, but Clearly, he's a hothead, and we saw him last eight games maybe with the Browns and then hasn't been a coach ever since, so that just show you something. But I just remember watching the Eagles yesterday and thinking, like, oh, yeah, that's what an NFL offense looks like. You run different plays to try to attack different areas of the field. And the Steelers, they just they, – they won't do it. And now – it leads you to ask what's going to happen in this bye week, and we got to hope that it's something. We all know what we hope it is. All right, so what can the Steelers do right now to get better? Unfortunately, not that much. And that's what's so frustrating about watching this season and why it feels pointless, even though obviously it's not. But as a, as a viewer, not much is going to change in a week. You know, they barely practice in the NFL now. They can't or their bodies would explode. But they don't get that many reps. I think it's overstated um, in the NFL, though, how, how you can't shift your offensive plans and your play calling and put new plays in. I, I'm sorry. Like, we've football players have been running dig route combinations and slants since they were in high school, middle school. A lot of passing plays are just concepts. There's a smash play, there's crossers, there's versions. Like it isn't rocket science to put in plays like that, especially when the Steelers are lacking such basic plays. But I digress. It's tough to see what the Steelers are going to do to improve this year, but they got to fire Matt Canada. There are no legitimate defenses of the idea of not firing Matt Canada. The only thing, I mean, the sample size is too big, Mike. It's not going anywhere. The Steelers have shown 
No improvement whatsoever this season. How many more games do you need to see? Is it like, is it a Mitch Trubisky thing as well? He started four years. We need to give him at least four more before we see that he's the same player he's always been. And by the way, I mean, the Steelers would be, you know. Anyways, the only other argument I can hear is, oh, you don't want to give Kenny Pickett three offensive coordinators in his first two years because you're going to have Canada – then you're going to have Mike Sullivan or whatever, the quarterback's coach, and then probably another guy next year. The damage is already done. You've already done that to him. You, this is sunk cost theory. You're not going to help him by taking one of the worst offensive coordinator, coordinators we've ever seen in the NFL, period. There's plenty of talent on the Steelers. The Lions freaking score points. They have no talent. Jared Goff is their quarterback. What are we doing here? Well, they've got a Mon St. Brown. Is he, I mean, what is he, a Claypool-level receiver? I mean, Deontay Johnson. Like, this is historically bad, and I just want to make that clear that when you blame an offensive coordinator or a head coach, who also this is equally a Mike Tomlin problem now because he's letting it happen, or a quarterback, when you blame them disproportionately for, for the success or for the failure of a team, that's generally a hacky, reductive take. But in this case, we are truly reaching historic levels of ineptitude at the offensive coordinator position. And it should be changed because you've already done the damage to Kenny Pickett. You have already mismanaged the drafting of a rookie quarterback by leaving that coordinator in place when you already have plenty of evidence from last year that he could not do this job. So since that has already happened, you're not saving Kenny by keeping him with that guy. He's already not learning anything. He's already got to start from scratch again. Now what you can do to damage him is leave him in this system where he's not learning any useful NFL skills. So get rid of Matt Canada now because you do need to start the process and it literally cannot get worse. I mean, if, is there some world where Kenny throws four interceptions per game? Maybe. I mean, I highly doubt it, but it cannot get any worse than it is right now. And you've already doomed him to a revolving door of offensive coordinators, at least for the first year of his career. So don't double down on a mistake because it's already happened. Like, let's say you pay a quarterback, you know, let's look at Russell Wilson. Let's say Russell Wilson is completely washed in Denver and they just paid him all this money, $200 million or whatever it is, right? Obviously they kind of have to see this out. They can't fire Russell Wilson seven, eight games into this season. But if he's this bad through the end of the year and halfway through next year or something, they have to cut bait with him. They can't just say, well, we paid him all this money. We have to see it through. No, you don't. You already made the mistake. It's a sunk cost theory. So that's – and if you just keep doubling down, you're just prolonging the inevitable. You're never recouping that money from Russell Wilson if he sucks. Just like with the Steelers, you're never recouping that experience that Kenny Pickett missed out on. You are not changing reality so that his offensive coordinator – experience is, is going to be a smoother one because you already made it bumpy. So 
If the Steelers change coordinators, it, it can only be a lateral move. It's not going to get worse. And then there's reasons to believe Mike Sullivan, the, the QB coach, you know, could be a better uh, offensive coordinator than Matt Canada. Uh, Neil Kulong's pointed out on Twitter a few times that quarterbacks like David Carr um, and a few others, I mean, I don't know how much <laughs> we take David Carr's opinion into uh, seriosity here. Um, that's not a real sentence, but, you know, there are a, a number of veteran NFL quarterbacks who swear by uh, Mike Sullivan and David Carr actually replied to one of Neil's tweets uh, backing that up again. So he's on a quest to, you know, back up Mike Sullivan. And I'm not saying Mike Sullivan's the permanent hire. I think all of us are terrified at the idea of another internal hire uh, for coordinator from the Steelers, but it is a, a decent piece of information to state, Hey, yes, there are competent offensive coordinators at the Steelers disposal. Competent. I'm saying, I'm not saying this is, you're going to get some great offense all of a sudden, but, that's what the Steelers need to do because Kenny Pickett is playing like crap. And we got to address that. All right. So all of Kenny Pickett's shortcomings from college are on full display here for the Steelers. And we have to remember first off that we have talked about this guy so freaking much over the past year, even when he was at Pitt, because we know the writing was on the wall for Ben. And obviously, Kenny's the hometown stud in the same stadium. Then we talked about him in the pre-draft process. Then the Steelers actually take him. We talk about him again. And we talk about him every single day during training camp. He has a great preseason. And la da 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 It feels like he's been around longer than, like, three games. But that's basically all he's played. It's like three NFL games. And he's playing for... Once again, to abuse this phrase, a historically bad offensive NFL team led by Mike Tomlin, who has, who, I'm sorry, like, he can come out of this. I'm not saying he will, but I just want to put everything in perspective that what he's doing right now could be looked at his, as his biggest failure. Maybe it'll be his undoing in Pittsburgh, and I hope it's not, because I do believe that his level of leadership and football IQ, even when you hear him talk about the game after the game, whenever I think it's un unbelievably valuable if you were able to pair him with the Bruce Arians and Dick LeBeau's of the world, guys who could take that side of the ball. So, you know, that's always been my opinion on Tomlin. And whenever I hear him talk after the game and I try to decode what he's saying in terms of figuring out, hey, what is he purposely leaving off um, for the sake of keeping some team and co coach chemistry? <clears throat> Excuse me, it does feel like he's on the ball with that, but Kenny right now is playing for Mike during his biggest challenge. And Mike has failed thus so far to bridge the gap in between Ben Roethlisberger in the next era. But I don't think it's irredeemable because I do think there are quite a few pieces in place. I'm sort of jumping all around here because I did not outline this show in any way, <laughs> but because uh, I'm realizing I didn't say what Kenny Pickett's weaknesses were, and it's, well, his, his lack of arm strength and his jumpiness in the pocket are, are on full display. But back to Mike Tallman, there are some pieces in play, and I think that what they're currently doing, there are some decisions that they can recover from in the near future here. The first one being the internal offensive coordinator hires have not worked. They feel 
like unforgivable hires, but they're really not. You, like there was a reason they wanted to try to get Feetner. That experiment didn't work. And then there was the big gamble. Some draft picks are a gamble. Look, man, Josh Allen was a gamble of a, dra- a draft pick, was how unconventional he was as a quarterback and coming from Wyoming, whatever. Sometimes these – Lamar Jackson, you know, they, sometimes you got to take a shot, and that's what the Steelers did with Matt Canada, and it did not pay off. And now the, the thing is you're going to move forward and you're going to try and get a Frank Reich or somebody – not Byron Leftwich, somebody who's a proven coordinator who can at least be middle of the road because I don't think the Steelers can look for a Shanahan. But, you know, that's just always mine. You know, McDaniels, whatever. I just always use the same names for the, for the elite coordinators. But <clears throat> I think that that's a recoverable offense. That was a failure. You have to draft EJ Manuel and JP Lawson and these guys in Buffalo before you get to Josh Allen. Same thing in Pittsburgh. That can be remedied within the next few months, right? Within the next year, I guess. Um, I also think that the Steelers' drafting philosophy, which has already shown, that it may be changing with the emphasis on offense in the past few years, but I think it needs to radically change. The Steelers uh, need to hit the alarm. Hey, we need to spend all of our money in free agency and all of our draft picks on getting this offensive line and just offensive team spectacular, and we need to put the defense on the back burner. And we know that the defense is struggling. We cannot care about that. It's not 2004 anymore. The, the league is way too stacked up against this because I think the other failure of Mike Tomlin in transitioning from Ben to the next era, besides the offensive coordinators, has been the lack of investment in the offensive line, the lack of premium investment with, with high-round picks. Look, we've all been screaming for first and second-round offensive linemen for about three years now, and they took Najee. That pick is turning out to be the worst-case scenario that a lot of people thought it would be. And uh, if you look at this tape, I think there's some great breakdowns on Twitter. Uh, check out at Derek Decade. He has spectacular breakdowns of Kenny Pickett from this week and Aunt Najee Harris. Look at the tape. I mean, look, Najee has a couple high-profile, terrible runs where he's dancing instead of just running guys over when he has a blatant opportunity to do so. But there's not a lot of holes for Najee. But the point is that pick was stupid given the fact that the Steelers had a, a absolutely terrible offensive line and you're going to put this guy in the team and he's 24 and he's had four years of carries at Alabama. And by the time you can get this offensive line to be a competent unit, the guy's going to be 27, 28 years old with 300 touches a year for seven, eight years in a row. It, it, this writing was on the wall since the beginning, right? So those type of actions are not great. Now, I still th- I understand why they picked Najee Harris because he's a carbon copy of Le'Veon Bell and Jerome Bettis, like a volume workhorse running back who will kill you with death by you know five-yard runs. I get it. But these are the type of things they need to reanalyze. They need to invest heavily in the offensive line. And if they get a competent NFL coordinator – just like a, like even like the 18th or 20th ranked offensive coordinator, they get a couple high draft picks invested in the offensive line. You have plenty to work with to be a decent offensive team because the Steelers, even with everything that happened in the Eagles game, they were still in the game in the third quarter. The NFL is just such a close league. So 
I know it feels like crap in Pittsburgh, but I really don't think that it's that far away from being competitive. And that was my point at the beginning of the podcast saying, look, like the Steelers are going to get the doors blown off them by the cream of the crop here. I think you have to operate realistically in today's NFL. And like, you have to put your little Steelers defense. I'm a defensive coach. You have to ignore that. Defenses expire in three, four years. I mean, look, we had that uh, elite Steelers defense, Duck Hodges years. All those guys are gone. (laughs) Two guys. I mean, those defenses expire so quickly. You have to build the offensive line quarterback and receiver room. And you have to get the right coordinator. Because that can last for 10 years, for seven, you know, far longer. And you have to be okay if your defense slips because your defense is going to get better just by the fact that the team won't lead the league in three and outs like they do right now by a wide margin. So that's where I think they're at uh, overall. I know I've kind of skipped on from the Kenny Pickett point. Um, go check out Derek, the kid's uh, Twitter thread on, on Kenny Pickett and how he's looked in these first few games. Look, there, Chase Claypool, poor bastard, he's running wide open over the middle on a frequent basis. Kenny's not looking that way. Kenny has all these lanes to step up in the pocket with. He, he always bails out to the right. This is exactly who he was at Pitt. The scary thing about that, we were having a conversation on Twitter, is that pocket presence is generally a difficult thing to teach. You've heard me rail on about that with Mitch Trubisky on the podcast for eight weeks. Like a real quarterback, the great ones, they cannot have an amygdala. They can have no fear response. They have to be borderline narcissistic idiots to think, I'm just going to stand in here with the very real risk of literal decapitation, and I'm just going to kind of look to see if this guy's open, and if he's not, I'll look at the other guy, and, oh, look, he's open by a millimeter. I'm just going to fire that ball in there, and I just got to hit this one-inch window. Okay, I did it. Great, moving on. And now I'm just going to do that 30 more times this game and every single week. Look, that's a natural thing. You can improve pocket presence for sure, and I think Ben's actually a great example. You know, he he already had a – he could already destroy people from the pocket when he was a young player, but obviously his game was highly predicated off of him breaking the pocket and making throws downfield, and he got much better inside the pocket. So that can happen, and it would be way too much for us to expect Kenny Pickett to have – truly improved any of those elements of his game by now. He's only three games in, and that's the only, you're not going to do that in practice. You cannot simulate the pocket stuff in practice. So this is the best thing. Do not turn away from Kenny Pickett. He's got to get that down. You have to have the coaches railing on him for that aspect. He is playing badly. He's, he's missing receivers here and there, whatever. Um, but... That's not why the team's losing. Like, if, if you were hoping for Kenny Pickett to be playing clean right now, you're implying that he was Andrew Luck. Okay, so this quarterback should be so good that he can come into a horrifically bad NFL team as a rookie and play great. Like, that's just a, an unrealistic expectation. But a real expectation of keeping Kenny in the system with this terrible system is – breaking Kenny. So let's not do that. So in summation, the biggest problem for the Steelers is the most obvious one. It's Mike Tomlin and Matt Canada's 
and Omar Khan hopefully is not indicted in this with his first offseason of player acquisition, but it's the Steelers' inability to create a sustainable offense. If you want me to analyze the defense, I do not care. I don't care at all. I'm being completely literal with that. NFL, the NFL has changed the rules of football dramatically. You, you do not win Super Bowls by building a defense. They expire way too quickly. There are way too many rules to prevent them from being able to, to do what they were always able to do. You've lost so many of your weapons to be a good defense. You can't hit people coming across the middle so people can throw there with impunity. They have no fear to go across the middle. You can't touch them on long go routes so they can throw deep. You can't hit the quarterback, especially on game-winning drives or in the fourth quarter or at the end of the second quarter because you see the rate at which they call the roughing the passers is absolutely absurd. The TV numbers bear it out. People like this style of football more. Yes, I think it's gone a little bit too far in that direction, but that is the reality. You cannot build a team through defense anymore. Defense comes second. Yes, you need a good one to win the Super Bowl, but first you need the offense. Because, oh my goodness, if you think that you're going to have the, the Denver Broncos, what do we have, 1-20 in has been the Denver Broncos model? Just look at the truly what I think is the best defense we've seen in 20 years being the Jacksonville Jaguars defense who, what happened to them when they played in the, in, in the championship game against New England? They forced Brady into a fumble. They return it for a touchdown. They call it bullcrap. You know, they say no touchdown. Referees. Like I'm, I'm not saying that as a conspiracy. Oh, New England just gets all the calls thing. I'm saying that as a, it, <laughs> the margin of error for defense is just too small. The Steelers have to drop everything they're doing and figure out this offensive plan Help Kenny pick it out, figure out if he's the guy. If he's not, then, man, you just wasted two years in a row first-round picks, and it takes a while to get those back. But it is too early to say that about Kenny Pickett. He's only played a couple games. And to think that his flaws from college would be fixed right now would be incredibly unreasonable to assume. So that's where I'm at with the Steelers. they got to fire Mike, uh, um, Matt Canada in the bye week here. I'm recording this on Monday. They should do it today. If I know anything about the Steelers, they'll do it in five days and give the new guy less time to prepare for the game. But obviously none of us are expecting a firing of, of Matt Canada because it would be so un-Steelers-like, but uh, so is having the worst team in the NFL, which is what they have right now, even though uh, where they currently stand, they possess the third pick in the draft. And by the way, you know no matter what happens, they're not drafting C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or Will Levis, Levi's, <laughs> Mayonnaise Man. They're not doing that. And so, and then there's Caleb Williams in the next class. Oh, my goodness. But can we really watch two years of the Steelers being this bad? They're going to stick with Kenny no matter what. And they'll go back to, well, that's what we did with Terry Bradshaw when the game was completely different. Um, And I'm not saying they should miss Kenny. I'm just saying you need to look at how the team is going to be prepared and if you know Kenny's going to be there no matter what and they're not going to do a Drew Rosen to Kyler Murray, hey, we're just going to draft two quarterbacks in two consecutive years thing, you need to do everything you can do to help the guy because if you don't have the quarterback right, if you don't have the offensive right, you're absolutely screwed. If you don't have the offensive right, it's way too much to expect your defense to hold people down. Have to get the offensive out, offense right. Let's pray they do it. All right. We'll be watching not the Steelers this week, but we will be podcasting. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost, SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, okay, bye-bye. Go Steelers.
Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.